And we welcome you into another week and another week closer to the 2020 NFL Draft. This is the best podcast available. I'm Gibbs, joined by Gribbs and the Z that stands for Zagura. Continuing on with our player rankings as we count you down to the draft, a virtual draft. We will talk more about the TV lineup, what's going to be happening coming up later on in the best podcast available. But more importantly, it's QB rankings, safety rankings, and corner rankings this week on the docket for us. And we'll kick things off with our quarterback rankings. And guys, uh, for the most part, pretty, pretty much the same thing. We've got the same five, give or take one at the very back end. But starting off number five, uh, and this is the overall rankings, uh, Jacob Eason from Washington. A fascinating product, guys. Here's a guy that at the beginning of the year, I know Bo Bishop was a big fan prior to college football season beginning, saying this guy might be the best pro prospect out there. Obviously, it's right before Burrow goes off and has the mother of all college football seasons. You know what you get with Tua. We'll get to those guys. But Eason, you buying or selling Gribble, Eason closer to this draft as the third best quarterback, or is he down a little bit further on your list? Uh, I'm selling because I did not have him in my top five. I had uh, the guy that I had the guy that Wally pipped him uh, at Georgia as the number five uh, quarterback, and, and Jake Fromm. And I, I think that Fromm didn't have the best year last year, but I've seen the traits and I've seen the winning, and I've just seen what we all saw, even dating back to his freshman season. I think he's a really good quarterback, and I would pick Fromm over Eason. But you know, Eason was a guy who also came in as a freshman at Georgia right away. Impressive looks like your prototypical pro quarterback. And I think this is where you can get talked into a guy quarterback wise, who may not have been as on the radar as some of these other ones. Granted, you went to Washington, but uh, I just, I, I'm, I, I would be more confident taking from, but I, I understand that the skill sets and traits that Easton has that dates all the way back to his recruitment when, back when he was a five-star recruit. Yeah, Eason is a guy that a team is going to fall in love with, right? 6'6", 230, can make every throw in the book. He looks like a quarterback supposed to look, improved his completion percentage to 64% a year ago. He's going to be somebody that will excel and is coming out of the combine, you know, guy in shorts who looks great throwing the football. I remember Tom Savage a few years ago ended up getting drafted uh, and people liked him, got opportunity to start because he was big, strong, could make the throws. And I think that's what Eason has. It. That's kind of his biggest asset there is that he looks like a quarterback supposed to look he throws the ball like a quarterback supposed to throw the ball how he fits in the pros that's going to be another question but let me just say I'm glad we're not worried about a quarterback that's great that's a great thing to not have to worry about here and, and you know split hairs over oh this guy or that guy or make these decisions we don't have to make any of those decisions this year but Eason is when you say let me show me a picture of a, a prototypical NFL quarterback Jacob Eason that's the picture you're going to see all right going back to from Gribbs, why has he fallen? You had him in the top five. Not many people do. If they do, if they don't have him in, they have him as six, maybe seven. I've even seen him even a lower, lower than that. Why has he fallen? Because you're right. After his freshman, I mean, he was just as good as Tua when they first came on the scene in their respective colleges. 
Yeah, he just wasn't very good. He, I think that the offense uh, maybe limited him a bit. And I think, you know, it's it's a lot of the same stuff we're talking about when we talk about Baker and, and the second year and, and why it didn't match up to the, the rookie year. But that's that, that's why I'm buying on Jake Fromm because I've seen it before. And I, I think he can rebound with the right coaching and the right offense. He's thrown a lot of short passes and things like that. And I, I just think he lost – uh, some of the confidence he had earlier in his career. But uh, I still like what I saw from him, especially earlier in his career. And that's why I'd be – especially if you're in the second round and you're not exactly trying to find maybe your franchise guy, uh, I'm betting on Fromm in this circumstance. All right. Zagura, regarding Eason, you mentioned his stats. It's easy to fall in love with the big, tall quarterbacks. Can you be too tall to play quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, there isn't a, a lot of success at uh, over 6'6", and he's just kind of right under that. So maybe you can be. And again, like I said, it's good that we're not worried about this type of a situation or a decision uh, going forward. And as far as Prom goes, uh, good player, good leader, but he doesn't, he doesn't, whereas Eason has that wow factor, Fromm doesn't. I think he's 6'1", 220, not that strong of an arm, but mentally very good. Reminds me in some ways of another Georgia legend in terms of, maybe a better college player than a pro player. And that's Aaron Murray, who was a very good college quarterback, very good processor, mentally good, but didn't have the biggest arm. Now Fromm's a little bit bigger and has a better arm than Aaron Murray did. I want that to be clear, but that it's just, he doesn't have anything that wows you that makes you think down the road. Okay. This guy is going to be great uh, as a starting quarterback. But if you were in the market, if the Browns, for example, were in the market for trying to find somebody, you know, on the third, fourth round to be a long-term number two quarterback, something like that, then he would be somebody you'd give a look to. Jordan Love, Utah State was our fourth ranked overall. Uh, here's a guy, smaller school, not one of the big, big powers, but yet put up some amazing numbers. And a lot of people think maybe could, could slip into the back of the first round, could be middle first round, could be a second round pick. Guys all over the map here, Gribbs. Yeah, and he's someone that I feel like we'd be talking about more if it was a normal time period in the in the world and our, our draft type and everything like that. It seems like he was more of a, a combine story, and then it's kind of faded away. And really the thing that's hurt him the most is uh, is kind of these teams shoring up their QB needs in free agency. And I, I think that's the, the big question mark is I think who takes Jordan Love will be trading to get him. And I know that's not that bold of a proclamation because a lot of, a lot of teams trade to get their quarterback in the draft, but I think it's going to have to be because I don't find I don't see a spot for him in the first round uh, based on teams with quarterback needs, especially if the Patriots, if he's their guy, I imagine they're going to move to get him to make sure they get their guy. Yeah, I could see that. Look, this is somebody if had he come out after 2018, you know, that year, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions. Uh, 64% completions. Last year, they changed offenses. He took a step back, 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. But he will do things on tape that nobody else, and that's including Joe Burrow, that's including Tua, in this draft class can do. He does some things that are very Patrick Mahomes-esque in terms of just being able to deliver the ball from all different platforms, strong, strong arm. But he is somebody who he still stares down receivers. He's not a refined quarterback prospect, inconsistent mechanics, which causes inconsistent ball placement. But in terms of a ball of clay to mold, he is as exciting a prospect. Now, you think about the Patriots and what they've been in the past, and that's under Tom Brady, obviously, but that is a rhythm-based offense, and he is not a rhythm-based passer. He is a better sometimes when it breaks down unbelievable raw athletic gifts and you wonder how that fits in and maybe they're going to evolve right when you don't have Tom Brady you, you can't run the offense that's best suited to the greatest quarterback of all time you've got to evolve and he's somebody that would at least give them a, a pretty exciting young 
prospect at quarterback. I, I still don't believe that the Patriots are going to go in the season with Jared Stidham. I just, I, I just don't believe it. I, I, I don't believe it. I don't care what yeah. they say. They can, they can tell us till they're blue in the face. I don't think anybody has any confidence that that indeed will happen. Uh, that being said, they know a lot more sometimes than we do. Yeah, I'd I'm say they're a pretty good organization. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. All right, number three, Justin Herbert from Oregon. I, I, I can't buy into this guy. I don't know. I, I saw some things like in, in the Rose Bowl. He, I thought the legs were more impressive than the arm. I don't know. Everybody says he's got the NFL intangibles, Zagura. Uh, I, I, are you buying, you selling this guy? I don't know. But he's the third best quarterback, according to our rankings. I like him a lot. And there are rumblings now that Miami might actually be more interested in Justin Herbert. We know that the Chargers are interested in him. Again, he's got the size, 6'6", 230. He can run, mobile, make plays with his, extend plays with his legs. But he's got a great arm. He has done a good job completing passes at a high level and taking care of the football last year, 67% completions. Over the last two seasons, 61 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He looks exactly like a quarterback is supposed to look. Uh, he's got a lot of talent, and he's somebody I, – I, I don't think there's any chance he gets out of the top ten. I think he's probably gone in the first six picks in this draft. Uh, I do like him. I think he's got an opportunity to be pretty good. He needs to be in a, in a system, I think, kind of similar to ours in some sense, that takes advantage of his mobility, allows him to use some boots, uses athleticism, but he can absolutely throw the ball. Like all these guys, needs to be more consistent, not a perfect candidate at, at any stretch. And you wonder about what happened in 18 – when he only completed 59% of his passes, but still for his career, accurate, high touchdown interception ratio, almost four to one, and has been a productive player who's shown the ability to make some plays with his legs as well. And is he someone we think would have gone higher if he had gone pro last year? I think that, is this a byproduct of, of being surrounded by Burrow and Tua? Like he had a great year the previous year, and it was a, it was a shock that he didn't go pro. It was a shock. And I think if you look at his numbers, he improved on that after 18. I mean, this year, completion percentages up, yards up, touchdowns up, interceptions down, uh, rushing touchdowns up. I thought he did, he did a pretty good job this year. And, and I don't think it's a surprise that now we're hearing, you know, this guy's going in the top 10. And he will be, you know, if not the third quarterback off the board, he might actually be the second quarterback off the board as teams. And, you know, the concerns over Tua and his actual health really come to the foreground. Well, you know it's draft season, though, when we're starting to talk about the concerns of Justin Herbert. And it's, it reminds me of, like, the, it's of the Bo Callahan-type conversations with the, <laughs> the leadership stuff. Sure. It almost reminds me – you remember Connor Cook when he was coming out of Michigan State? Oh. Be a team captain. I mean, the, those are like the, the draft bingo card-type talking points that have only seemed to hit Justin Herbert so far in this process. I agree with you, and I, it would not surprise me if he gets drafted ahead of Tua. Not, I would not be surprised at this point. There's a hot take, and that's before the end of the podcast. How about them apples? Oh, yeah. All right. Number two was Tua. Number one was Burrow. Did either one of you have a thought of putting Tua ahead of Burrow at number one? No. I, no. No? Zagura, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. I was going to say no. I didn't have a thought about it because he's a wild card. And frankly, I loved what I saw from Joe Burrow. I don't get a chance to watch 
during the season, a ton of college football. Sometimes when we're on a road trip on a Saturday night, you know, you're able to get a primetime game down there. And, and every time I saw Joe Burrow, I was impressed. I thought his performance in the playoffs were scintillating. His performance in the championship game was as good as I've seen in terms of ball placement, touch, ability to drive it when he needs to. He is a complete quarterback to me and doesn't come with any of the physical questions that right now are around too. And if I'm making that kind of an investment, you know, I want, A, I think he's a better quarterback, but B, he doesn't have any of that baggage that comes with two from a physical standpoint. So it was a no brainer to me, Burroughs number one. And I, I think he's been number one by a wide margin. Now, if two didn't have any of that stuff, then we could get into another debate. And I think there'd be a lot more who's better, you know, cause that stuff is, that's great draft content. It isn't there this year because Burroughs, the top candidate and the top quarterback in this draft period. Yeah. And we'd be taught, we'd be talking about injuries with Tua, even if he didn't hurt his hip. I mean, there was stuff long before that he was limping through the sec championship game before Jalen hurts kind of came to the rescue in that game. And, and you look back, I mean, uh, you know, I hate to be the guy, but it's like question. He had the great breakout performance, obviously, in the national championship against Georgia. But then the the Clemson national championship was a was a disaster. Uh, the SEC championship, he didn't make it through in that against Georgia because he was hurt. So it's just to me, Joe Burrow is the the one thing you worry about is it's one great season and that's it. But uh, there's been a, some good examples of that also in college. It reminds me of Cam Newton. The, the year he had at Auburn when he won, went wire to wire, won the national championship, uh, turned out to be a pretty good pro. And I, I just, there, there, it would be a tough choice if Tua was healthy. I, I think it's a no doubter to, with Tua being in the state he's in now. All right, Grizz, let me follow up with that. You mentioned the injury history. You also mentioned Burrow, the one, really the one great year. D does it bother you at all? He was never able to win the Ohio State job. Does that factor in at all in the back of your mind? Not that he's not going to be the number one pick, because unless the Bengals screwed up, he is going to be the number one pick. But it, I look at it and go, he was never able to beat out the incumbents at Ohio State every year. Well, you know who couldn't win the Florida starting quarterback job was Cam Newton. And so he had to leave and go to junior college and had the issues, obviously, at Florida. But there's, there, there's, there's so many examples of this. And you almost have to look at the quarterback position in college completely different now. There's so many guys that just go – uh, to, to multiple spots, and it's just become the norm. Uh, so I, I can't hold it against Burrow. Ohio State is also really, really, really good. Uh, and it's, it is crazy. Like, you know, Nathan Peterman went to a, obviously not the greatest professional example, but he went to multiple colleges and, and got beat out by guys who never had a shot at the NFL. Uh, and, but he turned into an NFL quarterback. I, I just think that there's so much that goes into it. And, uh, and Burrow, for all intents and purposes, had a pretty good year the year before this past year, but it wasn't anywhere close to what he did this past year. I wonder too, and maybe you can help me with this. And this might this might be this week's dumb question. Trust me, I usually pull one out. The last time the top two quarterbacks in a class were from the SEC. Hmm. I I was thinking about that today as I was putting it together, and I'm like, as I was putting together the rundown. I'm like, when was the last time the top two quarterbacks were SEC? Because I don't know if you necessarily think – I mean, SEC usually has a couple quarterbacks that end up getting drafted every year. There's a handful, I should say. But, like, the top two, I, I, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, it would obviously have to be – one of them would have to be number one. So, you, immediately Cam Newton would come to mind. I don't know if there was another SEC quarterback that year. And then Jamarcus Russell. But I don't know if there was another SEC quarterback that year either. 
So I, I don't know. Do you, do you know the answer? Or did you yeah, say that's I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, was, I was hoping Gribble's knowledge of the SEC uh, on a random Tuesday question would. No, I mean, I, all I can tell you is that in the Matt Stafford draft when he was coming out of Georgia, the next quarterback taken was uh, Matt Sanchez, not, which was not great. Uh, no. For, it took him to – went to the playoffs and, and things like that, but – yeah, I mean, it's just it, it it's it's gotten to be a better quarterback conference, but not near there yet. If you want to get really technical, it it almost happened. If you're going by the old by the new SEC in 2011 with Cam Newton, there was then Jake Locker and then Blaine Gabbert from Missouri, which is now in the SEC. Sure. So I'm looking. I just pulled up a list of of first round quarterbacks from the SEC, and this is prior. This only this goes back to prior to the 2017 draft, and we know. Uh, we haven't had two of them there. You haven't had two in the same year, two SEC quarterbacks go in the first round in the same year since 1952 when it was Babe Perilli from Kentucky and Billy Wade from Vanderbilt. There you so go. The, the list that you have, in, in at least prior to 2017, and, and I'm, let me know if I'm missing anybody from recent ones, but I don't know that I am. You have Johnny Manziel, 2014, from Texas A&M, Cam, 2011, Tebow, 2010 from Florida, Stafford 2009, Jamarcus Russell 2007, Cutler 2006, Jason Campbell 2005, Eli Manning 2004, Rex Grossman 2003, and we'll go all the way back to why not. Tim Couch 1999, Peyton Manning 1998, Heath Schuler 1994. Prior to that, nobody for 20 years. But guys, let's not forget the, the special moment in the 2014 NFL draft when in back-to-back picks, the Kansas City Chiefs on the clock with the number 163 pick took Aaron Murray. That's right. The Bengals at 164 took A.J. McCarron. That's right. Aaron Murray. Will you Murray me? Love that oh, There's that. Great player. <laughs> All right. Zagur, my question for you. You're the Chargers. You're on the board at pick number six. You stand pat. You kind of let the draft fall to, fall to you. Do you take the third best quarterback in this class or are you better off going to get a free agent that's still out there, a la Cam Newton or Jameis? Well, it's again, at the combine, it seemed like the worst kept secret in the world that the Chargers love Justin Herbert. So if they love him, then you take him. Uh, if, if you are not in love with one of these guys or if let's, for example, say you're not in love with Tua and Herbert goes five to Miami, which I do think is a possibility, then I'm going to evaluate who's the best player on the board. I'm going to hope that either Akuda or Simmons has slid to six and I'm able to pounce on one of those two guys. And yeah, I'm going to go out there. First of all, fine with Cam Newton. Second of all, I'm fine with Jameis Winston. This guy's young and could be a quarterback for a decade. I know he throws a lot of interceptions, but you need to put, you're out in LA. You need some glitz and glamor. First of all, Cam Newton is the one that makes the most sense by far, but if yeah, there are great free agent options out there that typically don't exist in the NFL. It does. This doesn't happen. So I would get the best player for my team and then bring in one of those quarterbacks. Absolutely. You talk so highly of Jameis Winston. I do love Jameis. But yet you see Tom Brady as such an upgrade in Tampa Bay that it's going to win so many more games. I don't know. That, that does not compute. That's like saying that, like, I love Rex Chapman, and I do love Rex Chapman, but if the Charlotte Hornets all of a sudden traded Rex Chapman out for Michael Jordan to think that they would get better with Michael Jordan, duh, he's the greatest of all time. Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. Of course they're going to get better with Tom Brady. Now, if you said, how much better would they get if they subbed out Jameis Winston for, say, Matt Stafford? I'm not ready to say that they're for sure going to the playoffs. We're talking about Tom Brady here, Gribbs. It's not like we're talking about a jabroni You're from the corner. You're saying Tom Brady's worth more wins than Jameis Winston. Drive. Am I saying four more? 
wins than Jameis Winston? That's a lot of wins. Well, I think they've also made other moves. But, yeah, I think that he is going to take them to the playoffs. And I'm going to eat Taco Bell from you. And I'm going to eat Taco Bell from you. And I'm going to eat Taco Bell from everybody when this is all said and done. I think two or three times for me. You get a taco. You get a taco. It's like Oprah. You get a taco. Tacos for everybody. Let's go. Gribs, which quarterback in this group, obviously taking out number one, which is Burrow, and Tua, who won't be there, which quarterback makes the most sense for the Patriots and why? Uh, I mean, Justin Herbert would be great for them. I don't know if they can get him. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, I, I, I think with like what Nathan was saying, I think if they are looking for the, they're in a position to get upside, I would, I would for them go and get Jordan Love. I think that they've got to, if they want to truly reinvent themselves and, and get a quarterback that can do a lot of different things that they've been working around because Tom Brady had some limitations these last few years. Go get Jordan Love because I don't think you're going to feel. I mean, if you're if you're going to go get Jacob Eason or or Jake Fromm, you might as well roll it out with Jared Stidham to get started, or or you might as well go get Dalton. I mean, that's uh, so I, that I, I I'm going on upside for the Patriots, and I, I would go Jordan Love. If I was them, I would get Dalton and draft Jordan Love, and you have Jordan Love, let him learn. And with Andy Dalton, you can run everything you've been running with Brady. He's not quite as good, but he's still going to be good, and I still think they can go to the playoffs. Fair do enough. You, do you think that the teams – because Dalton has to be traded, correct? Correct. Yep. I think teams are waiting until the Bengals just officially have no leverage and have Joe Burrow on their team. And just, Probably. I mean, is that the, the reason why we're waiting here? Supposedly there's been a lot of discussions, but, yeah, I think the, the price has been prohibitive at this point. Yeah. All right, we move on. Quarterback talk done for now. Back on we go to the defensive side of the ball. We're talking safeties. We're talking corners. Safeties, our top five. We'll go from there. Uh, we have a tie for fifth place. I'm including everybody this week. I'm overachieving like Nathan Zagur. He's rubbed there off you go. the right way. Now I'm overachieving. Uh, and we'll start with Ashton Davis Ooh. and Jeremy Chin. So Southern Illinois' Jeremy Chin, who's really gaining, gaining a little bit of traction here in the last week or two. And He's then fifth? Ashton He's Davis. in a tie for fifth? What? Chin's in a tie for fifth? Is that what you said? Tie for fifth. How's that possible? You add up the points. I, I realize add the methodology. Up. I'm asking without with blindly looking. I think I'm pretty sure he was he was third or fourth on mine. Okay. Did somebody not have him on the list? You're, you actually had him at four. Four. Okay. Um, did somebody not have him on the list? I did not. Ribble didn't have him on the list. Wow. I had him at number five. BP, your BPA favorite, your, your BPA regular, Dane Brugler, has was the number two safety in this class and actually has kind of pegged him as being – that's his ideal scenario for the Browns at number one. Jared, I, I also 41. didn't cheat either, and I didn't put Isaiah Simmons on my list of safeties either. How's that, how's that cheating? How's that cheating? I don't believe that. I take umbrage at that comment to be perfectly honest. You can't talk honest. about Isaiah Simmons on two podcasts. You can talk about him in two positions because that's how good he is. That's how amazing he is, and that's why we all need to hope and – oh, please, please, please – Please let him be there at number 10, and then we can get him and we can make some moves around because after talking to Joe Thomas on CBD on Monday, I'm fully convinced, and he said Bill Callahan can have a bigger influence on a rookie than any coach on our team. I'm saying Ezra Cleveland looks like a pretty good prospect. Austin Jackson looks like a pretty good prospect, and they can be developed and molded by under the tutelage of Bill Callahan. There aren't any other Isaiah Simmonses out there. Nope, not another one. Just one. Isaiah Simmons. That's why it's number one a linebacker, number one at safety. If you wanted to say number one, just cool guy, stud, boom, I put him on that list too. Number one. We could have three pots for Isaiah Simmons. So 
I think for the purpose of this podcast, <laughs> we're actually going to move Isaiah Simmons off of the safety position. And Chin still tied for fifth? Outrageous. Yeah. I actually I moved him out of the top, out of out of the rankings. We'll debate that. That's another day to debate. Relax. Relax. But that being said, Chin was still number five along with Ashton Davis. Chin, uh, Southern Illinois, as I mentioned, making a little waves. Gribbs, why did you like Davis? You had Davis fourth on your list. Yeah, I mean, he's your, your prototypical free safety with, with crazy athleticism, and I think that's what this team needs. I, I think what you, you added Sandejo uh, and, and Joseph, two more thumper-style safeties. Give me the guy that, that can play center field, and I think Davis is one of the best options there. So, girl, why'd you go with Chin? Listen, I, I'm, did I have Ashton Davis on my list as well? Get him fifth. Number yeah. five. I like Ashton Davis a lot. Ashton Davis, former track star, pure center fielder type of a free safety, would be a great fit with what we do. I think he's a great story uh, in terms of how he got to be there and play at Cal, um, join the track team, and the speed is what kind of propelled him there. He was a no-star recruit. So he had walk-on opportunities for track and ends up parlaying this into being an excellent safety for Cal. Second team, all Pac-12 last year. I like him. Like I said, natural center fielder. That's what he is. He's not tackling needs some work, but in terms of being a guy who knows how to get his hands on the ball, find the football, and have ball skills over the last two years, six interceptions, 15 passes defense, I like him a lot. I think that he is really really good I think he is going to be very very solid a single high guy can come down in the slot and cover as well uh, I like Ashton Davis I like Jeremy Chin I think if we do to go tackle first it lines up really well for the Browns at 41 because the names that we're all going to talk about with the exception of maybe Xavier McKinney are likely to be on the board or coming off the board at that point and Chin's another one who is big he can he can hit he can play near the line of scrimmage but he was a cornerback uh, by trade. That's where he kind of started off. He was a corner, does great in the slot, can cover tight ends, but physical at the line of scrimmage, can have play strong safety or free safety. The question is you just don't know about the competition he faced at that level, and he still needs to kind of refine his game. He guesses a lot, plays on instinct a lot, and while he can have success with that at certain levels in the pros, maybe not as easy. But over the last three seasons, he had three picks every single year that he was in college, which I think is pretty darn good. Over the last three seasons, 26 pass breakups, 10 picks. He's got ball skills. Again, different level, but still a pretty good player. And, and you know, Dane Brugler, very high in him, as is the number two safety in this class. All right. Kyle Duger, uh, a, a kid that's gaining a lot of traction, small school, working his way up, which I, I think is pretty hard to do, all things considered in the, in the current environment that we're living in, of not being able to have pro days and not being able to go on visits. This kid's making a name for himself. He's done a pretty nice job. I, I don't know a ton about him, but I do – like what I see, and I think he's a guy that could be there, Zagura, like you said, on day number two. Yeah, this is a guy, again, played single high safety in their scheme there uh, and also would cover guys in the slot. So he's got coverage skills, 19 pass breakups, five picks the last two years, a big hitter as well. Uh, he can play deep. He can play as well near the line of scrimmage. Um, but, I mean, you talk about size. He's got good safety size, 6'1", 217. Uh, he can run 4'4", 940. I, I think this is a guy who could be, you know, some people talk about him as kind of a safety linebacker hybrid. 
um, kind of when it can be that dime backer for you, as well as playing safety. So physical guy, I think it, he would be somebody you're looking at if the Browns, A, either think Carl Joseph can become a long-term free safety, because I think he's more right now, more of strong safety-ish. Um, but again, another very, very good prospect. And as I said, the safety group is, is loaded. And when we get to the guys above him on this list, uh, I think could be a bonanza for the Browns there at 41. Gribbs, if you take a look at the top three and the top three we have overall, we have Winfield three, Delpit two, McKinney number one. Is there a big difference between any of those three? I mean, I feel like you look and two of those could be gone in the first round. Only one of them might be gone out of the top five, going back to what Zagura had to, had to say. There could be four of those guys going into day two. Yeah, and, and I'm of the opinion, sign me up for Grant Delpit, who to me has had a similar uh, entrance into the draft as Greedy Williams did last year. Because Grant Delpit's best season was not 2019, it was 2018. Uh, he had some issues uh, on the field just in terms of tackling this past season, maybe some injuries uh, that hindered him a little bit. But his reputation alone still won him the Thorpe Award. There were some angry people in college football who covered the game when he got that award because it might have been on reputation, but that means his reputation was really good. And I think he is a first-round talent that you can get at 41. Uh, I am a no-hesitation go-get-Grant-Delpit if he's there for you. I could not agree anymore with everything that he just said. Grant-Delpit, if he came out after that last season, would have been a top-ten pick. And I think the Browns have an opportunity to steal a guy who was hindered by injury. But, man, when you watch him – like, you don't get number seven at LSU unless they think you are an absolute baller. And he had that comparisons from the head coach to Troy Polamalu. He's a free safety who can hit. He can do it all. He can do it all. I think he's a stud. And I think Grant-Delpit – is absolutely – it would be like history repeating itself. You get a guy a year after their best season that you're banking on what the traits that they've shown and what you see on film. I think Grant Delpit is a special player. I, I feel, to me, Grant Delpit is a guy that comes in here and changes our defense as a day one starter and will be a legend in Cleveland for years to come. I love Grant Delpit, and I hope that – I hope that's who we end up getting at 41. When you take a look at this safety group – in our top five, Xavier McKinney from Alabama is one, Grant Delpit from LSU two, Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota is three, Kyle Duger uh, is four, and then you got Chin and you have Ashton Davis. Is this the third best position in this year's draft besides tackle? Well, fourth best when you when you have the quarterbacks in. Quarterback, tackle, wide receiver. Is this the best position? available right now after those three i don't maybe but it's i think we're more thinking that because the browns need like three of them i think that's why we're like you know we're thinking the the browns just signed two of them you entered the offseason with two safeties on your roster you added two veterans uh to the team on one year deals i think we we just know that and it kind of just lines up where all of these guys are going to be available in the 40 range but they might not be available past like 55 so it's like, this is a great year for second round safeties. That's all I'm saying. I, I agree. This doesn't look, especially if you take Isaiah Simmons out of the safety discussion, if you kept him in it, then it has a top 10 pick. But it's possible Xavier McKinney doesn't go in the top 20. Now it's possible that he does go in the top 20, but it doesn't have, there aren't the headliners, the superstars. There's no Jamal Adams in this class, right? Unless, of course, we count Isaiah Simmons. But 
it, it's for where we want a safety to be and a good prospect to be, it lines up perfectly. I don't know how much the depth is after these guys or, you know, before them, there's nobody really elite. But for what we want, which is the Cleveland Browns at 41, I think, and my next mock, my next VPA mock will certainly have us taking a safety there now with the signing of Adrian Claiborne. It lines up exactly what you would want it to line up for, for the Browns. So through our Browns glasses, I think those lenses tell us, yeah, this is a perfect safety class because we have a variety of options that should be available to us at 41. But overall, I don't think anybody's saying, oh, man, there's, this is going to be a transformative class. Now, if Simmons ends up counting, I think McKinney's going to be a long-term good starter. I think Chin's going to be a long-term good starter. And I think Grant Delpit has an opportunity to be a long-term pro bowler. And Winfield Jr., while undersized, you can't argue with the production. You can't argue with the pedigree. There's a chance that you have a lot of guys that are, that are pretty good players in the league for, for quite a while. But again, it, it's not super elite. And it's not super deep. It just happens to line up where we want to pick a safety. Gribbs, Xavier McKinney could go anywhere from 15 to 32, I feel like. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen him mocked late 20s, mid 20s. What's the best part of his game? Uh, you know, I'll be uh, simple and to the point. He's an Alabama safety. And these guys tend to work out. And I just think it's the system. You, you, you can go back. I mean, You've had Alabama safeties that have been underdrafted, and Eddie Jackson, I mean, he was a fourth-round pick, and he turns out to be great. Haha, Clinton Dix has been great. Landon Collins, it, it's just – it is the system at Alabama. Okay. They identify the best in the country to, to go get them. They play, def- they play defense for Nick Saban for a few years. The, these are the guys I trust, and McKinney's got an edge to him. Uh, I, just, I just like everything about his game, and I, I just – I don't know if I'd feel good about getting him at like 15. I don't know if I'd feel good about getting him at 20, but he, he should be a first round player. And he's probably, he, chances are he's going to be the only first round pick out of this group. And as long as he doesn't go to a team in the AFC North, I really don't care where he goes. That's all. Yeah. That's really what it boils down to. I don't need that. Zagura, Isaiah Simmons, would you play him at linebacker or safety? I think you'd probably play him at both, right? You, no, you in, one. In a way. You got to no, pick one. That's not what the NFL game is anymore. So in certain packages in a base defense, I would play him at safety and have him as my strong safety. You can play him as a free safety at times, but in, in sub packages, you can use him as an extra cover linebacker because of his abilities. So I, he's, he reminds me a lot of Derwin James, who I thought was criminally underdrafted that year. Derwin James has come in and been, when healthy, awesome in the NFL. And I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be awesome in the NFL. And the Chargers do some of that with him too. They play him in a traditional safety. Sometimes he plays free. Sometimes he plays strong near the line. And then sometimes they play him in a linebacker role where he can be very effective and just use his athleticism to take over. So the answer is Isaiah Simmons on my team is going to play 100% of the snaps. He will line up in multitude of positions. And I think he is going to be an absolute star in the NFL. I think he's outside of Chase Young, the best player in this draft period. I think you can make that argument. No question about it. All right, corners real quick here as we get through things. Uh, We had a tie for fourth, so I just included him in the top five. Uh, Christian Fulton, A.J. Terrell from Clemson. Uh, At number three, Trevon Diggs from Alabama. Um, We've seen him mocked a few different places. At number two, uh, a guy that I think we've all moved up our boards here recently. Uh, another guy that's making noise and is really moving up. And I even saw an article today where there was some an argument to be made that he might be better than Okuda. Uh, and that's C.J. Henderson out of Florida. And then you have Jeff Okuda from Ohio State as the number one corner on our uh, top five at that position. Gribbs, a, a thought or two from you on the top five, on your top five. 
Yeah, and, and you know, we, we talked about this before taping. It's just, I, I think they're all pretty solid and they're all clustered together as, as with very small and uh, little things here and there that, that make them uh, ranked higher or lower than each other in that spots. At the end of the day is the Browns aren't going to be taking any of these guys in the first round outside of maybe Okuda. And when they're on the clock in the second round, I don't think any of these guys are going to be there. So it, it's, 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 it's a tough thing to discuss just because these are all kind of going to be in that maybe 13 to 34 range, I would say, for all these corners. So it's, 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 it's a tough discussion to bring back to the Browns. The only way to discuss this, though, is if Jeff Okuda is somehow on the clock at number 10, what do the Browns do? Zagura? Yeah, and that's where I think it would get interesting. And if Jeff Okuda is on the, on the clock at 10, there's probably a good chance that maybe three tackles have gone and maybe the one that's left isn't somebody the Browns like. So do they draft Okuda and say, we're just going to load up there? Do they feel they trade offer at that point? Uh, and find a way to move down, pick up a second rounder perhaps, uh, maybe. I, look, if there was one position that you said to me that I had to bet on of the big positions that the Browns will not even draft anybody this year, cornerback would be the first one that comes to my mind because you maybe later on, but going into the season as it stands right now, you've got Denzel and Greedy on the outside. You've got Kevin Johnson. Now he's on a prove-it deal as a slot corner. Maybe you want to find a slot corner of the future. And then you have Terrence Mitchell as your fourth corner who is a stud and whenever he plays, makes plays. That's a, that's a darn good top four. And then behind them, you have Robert Jackson, who I thought showed flashes last year. You've got Tavier Thomas, who can play inside or outside, but is primarily a special teams guy. Donnie Lewis Jr. was drafted a year ago to be the slot corner of the future. That was a seventh round pick and, and different regime. So is there loyalty there? I don't know. But I, I would be, I, I don't even know if there's a stunned is enough of strong enough of a word if the Browns took a corner in either a first, second, third round, maybe even into the fourth. In the fourth, maybe I could see him, but first, second, or third, no way. And I don't, I really think that there are other positions they're going to address and corner would be pretty far down the list. So, so you're saying if Akuda's there, you're not taking him? I'm saying if I personally am there, at number 10, I'm going to see what offers I can get and see what else I'm, what I'm dealing with. Is it easy to run up there? Yeah. Now somebody who hasn't played outside or hasn't played inside, I'm sorry, is going to have to play inside. And I'm not worried about the investment in, in Kevin Johnson, who I think is going to have a nice season for us, but he's on a one-year deal. So you'd be able to say, okay, I have a first or second or a third-year player, all studs. But so far, Denzel hasn't gone inside. Greedy's not going to go inside. So you would need to feel pretty comfortable that either Denzel, not that he can't do it, but that he would be open to do it, or that Akuda, as a rookie coming in, would be going inside. Because that, that would be the calculus. But you also think that for a premier corner like that, you might be able to get a better haul than you would have otherwise at pick 10. And then you can go get an Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, maybe pick up another second and, and add another talented player to this team. See, I think if, if, he, if he's on the clock, if he's, if he's available and you're not getting any great offers. And I have, you draft him. I have draft no him. problem taking him. Because I, I, you, you look at the cornerback pretty, room pretty optimistically. I, I think it's a good group for the Browns. They've got some good options. But part of me worries that most of that room has had a tough time staying on the field. And that's the, that, I think you could, uh, you could add depth. And I, I think Okuda is just so good. that I, I think he would just – help help you so much that I feel I, I wouldn't say I feel the same way about him as I would Isaiah Simmons at potentially at number 10 same. but I feel better about Okuda than I would like a Derek Brown or, or someone like that, in that yeah 
Yeah, because it's, again, it would be using a valuable draft asset at a position that is premier and expensive. And you would be able to have three guys on rookie deals that are all pretty well regarded. And frankly, you know what? That's on the players and that's on the coaches to make sure somebody can play inside. And one of these, they're talented enough to do it. So let's do it. But you go back and you think of Joe Woods. And the first thing that popped into my head when you said that, you think about Joe Woods when he was in Denver as the defensive coordinator, their three corners were Aqib Tlaib, Chris Harris, and Bradley Roby pretty darn elite and and no coincidence they had a pretty darn elite defense because they had corners who could cover in man and then they had pass rushers Marcus Ware and Von Miller to get to the quarterback and you think about the Browns if you could really put a lockdown at that cornerback position and then have Vernon and Claiborne and Miles obviously and Sheldon and Larry going in waves staying fresh getting after the quarterback we'd be tough to score on and I know our offense is going to score points because this offensive system produces points yeah, I, I, I still think you have to look at corner in this draft, whether it's at 10 if Akuta is there or not, simply because the two def- two corners that you had both missed time last year. And there is an injury concern with both of those guys, uh, as we have seen already in their early, early on careers. All right, a couple news and notes. We'll get out of here with that. Um, this coming down from Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports. NFL and player unions have come to an agreement on the terms of a virtual offseason. Qualified teams can now begin distributing their offseason program materials to players. Players can begin virtual workouts to earn their workout bonuses. The NFL's offseason will remain virtual as long as all 50 states are under some kind of lockdown. That is huge. This means NFL franchises cannot resume in-house work, OTAs, or any form of camps until all 50 states have removed lockdown restrictions. This includes states, obviously, without NFL teams. NFL clubs and players will come to their own agreement in terms of what the benchmarks are to earn off-season bonuses. Uh, Some pretty interesting things coming out here late uh, about the NFL and players' union and those agreements uh, until all 50 states, and we know what California's stance has been. I mean, their their people have said nothing until Thanksgiving. I think it, I, who knows? None of us know right now exactly what the timetable is. But the fact that they're saying all 50 states, that, that is a, that's some big things and some big news coming out of the NFL grids. Yeah, and it's it, I'm, I'm more curious on how they define, like, lockdown measures because – you know, before Ohio had the stay-at-home measure, they were still recommending not to go out uh, and, and do unnecessary uh, trips and, and things like that. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how that's defined. And the concern is I think Maryland right now maybe has the longest out uh, deadline on their stay-at-home. I think they're into June uh, with their deadline. So uh, I'm just I'm – hopeful, I'm hopeful for training camp because I think that it's – I understand the, the NFL did this with the draft, with the equal playing field, and I understand why they're doing it with the offseason workout program, and I imagine that's going to apply to training camp too. So uh, let's just all st- – let's all stay at home as much as we can to make sure that, that we're all good to go uh, for, the, for the late summer and into the fall. Yeah, I think when you looked at that, the thing you popped in my mind was the, the, the first chance that we have is training camp. It, you're not going to get anything prior to training camp. I just don't, I don't see that at this time. Um, and so you hope that, you know, the world can keep progressing and America can keep progressing like it has. I mean, they think that, 
you know, we've gotten ahead of this, we flattened the curve that maybe the peak has happened already. And, and so you, you could envision a late July, early August being feasible to, to return to some sense of normalcy. So that's what you have to hope for there. Um, you know, I know our team, because we were supposed to report early with the head coach, you know, our players have been able to get their iPads. Uh, and I talked to Adrian Claiborne and he said, you know what, it's actually been pretty cool. They've really put together a well thought out presentation where you feel like you're in the meeting rooms and getting to understand, you know, what you need to understand going forward that you're allowed to at this point anyway. And uh, I think it's going to be, it, look, it is a level playing field. Everybody's going to deal with it. And I, I tell you, I really think from talking to some people around the league that with the people we have running our organization and the age group of the people we have running our organization right now, we're at a little bit of a competitive advantage in this period relative to some other organizations. Yeah, it's it, listen. It's not the ideal start for a new coach, new general manager. But like you said, Nathan, I've we've talked with Andrew Berry and and Kevin Stefanski. They they're not making excuses, and they've they've kind of embraced this challenge. And I, I think that that they've gotten out the right message. And I think it'll be. This is puts again. We always. I feel like in the NFL, we always talk so much about coaching general managers, and that those are the people that get the most criticism. A lot of this is going to be on the players. I mean, they're going to have to take it on their own time. I mean, this is like when you get a summer reading going in high school. You know, you gotta you gotta get this done throughout the summer instead of waiting until the last minute to to cram that you know count of Monte Cristo uh, a day before you get get high school started. So, you know, I, I think that, that that's going to be on the players to manage their time wisely because even though the off-season workout program is one, voluntary, uh, and two, is not as intense as training camp, uh, they're still pretty long days. So it's just about time management. And uh, a lot of young guys with a lot of free time are going to have to buckle down and, and, and really lock into what's going to be a new offense and new defense. Uh, and this is something – That, that opening is, day conditioning test, my friend. Woo! I think you're going to see a lot of people actually be in shape. And, and Adrian Claiborne actually said, he goes, look, you're going to find out who took this seriously and who didn't right away. And, you know, all you, you have time every day to make sure you're doing something to get in shape. So you, gotta, you better be in shape. The pros know that they, they need to be in shape. Another thing that I think is, you know, you look back at it and we talked about the various reasons for the one-year deals. And I think some of it had to do, obviously, with, you know, when we're going to have to start paying out large contracts, especially on the defensive side. But maybe not a bad strategy in this environment to have all these one-year deals because you have a lot of guys who are going to have to be self-motivated because they want to, this is their prove-it deals. You know, Carl Joseph said, look, I signed a one-year prove-it deal. I need to be able to prove it. And so I think you're going to have a lot of natural motivation from these guys in our organization that did sign one-year deals because this is their opportunity to excel and hopefully get paid. I'm just all curious right. what these workouts are going to be because these guys can't get into public gyms. No, they, they've got to be creative. And I think that the Browns are able to work with them as much as they can to kind of advise what they're able to do. But the last thing we want these guys doing is unnecessarily going into crowded areas and, and working out in places they should. I mean, they're going to get they're going to be doing workouts this to prepare for the season that they probably will never do again for the rest of their lives. Yep. It will be interesting to watch. I'm sure there'll be plenty of postings for it in the game coming weeks i can't help but notice is have you snuck a banana in in that uh that window frame behind you there's one in the background every <laughs> broadcast my friend i love it find it i found it find oh, it buddy. i was pretty pumped that was a good that's a good one i like that one uh that's gonna wrap up this edition of the best podcast available. We've got some other things we'll get to on Thursday's edition of the BPA. Dane Brugler will join us again. He's got a seven-round mock-out, so we'll talk to him about that. 
and uh, we'll get you set one week out the next time we come to you from the 2020 NFL Draft. Zagura, thank you for your time. I appreciate it as always. Uh, my Ribs, pleasure. Appreciate your time. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel. Thanks to Paul Taylor. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe and like today to the best podcast available. You can also check out the videos of all of these podcasts at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash browns. I'm Jason Gibbs for Andrew Gribble for Nathan Zagura. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.